Good afternoon. It is a joy to be here today. It is certainly a blessing when we have the opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters to sing praises, to be edified together, uh, and to study from God's Word together. Today, I want us to consider a proper understanding of what it means to be a member of the Lord's Church. Having a proper view of the Lord's Church and what it means to be a member of it is extremely important. It will have a deep impact on our walk as Christians. In particular, it will have an impact on how uh, we interact with others around us, how we relate with other Christians. The passage that we just read in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul says that there were quarrels uh, and divisions among the brethren here in Corinth that really stemmed from an improper view of their own identity as Christians. Some were saying that I am of Apollos, or I am of Paul, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And I, I hope that none of us here today would be foolish enough to uh, identify ourselves by the, the name of, of some man. I hope nobody here would uh, say, I am of Grady Huggins, or, or I am of Art Hansey, or I'm of Alexander Campbell, or, or Barton W. Stone, or whoever it may be. But I'm afraid that, that sometimes, maybe without realizing, if we're not careful, uh, somewhat of a denominational mindset can take root within our minds. We can have a, a sense of misplaced loyalty in our walk as disciples. And so what I want to consider today is the question, to what were you converted? Um, to address the, the danger uh, that we see here in 1 Corinthians and, and to try to help us develop uh, a more non-denominational, Christ-centered view of discipleship and the church, we want to ask this question, to what were you converted? Uh, as Paul refers to here, in, in whose name were you baptized? And to do this, we're going to look at three hypothetical men to help illustrate the concepts that we want to consider today. Three men are converted here. The first is converted to the East Side Church of Christ. And you could really fill in the blank here. Uh, it doesn't have to be us, but uh, for, for those here in this assembly, that's what we're going to be referring to. But here, this one has visited our assembly and is impressed with how friendly and loving these people are. He enjoys the, the singing together. He finds the, the preaching and teaching to be pretty tolerable. And uh, he shares many things in common with the people here and is encouraged by spending time with them. And so he thinks that these are the kind of people that he'd really like to associate with. These are the type of people that he'd like to be a part of. And so he decides to do whatever it takes to become a part of this church. And while there may be a degree of sincerity in his actions, his, his primary focus is on becoming a member of this local group of people. Well, man number two has a slightly different perspective. 
Uh, he is primarily impressed with the Church of Christ as what he perceives to be a global network of churches that identify themselves by this name. And while he may or may not deny that the Church of Christ is a denomination, uh, the way he views and talks about the church betrays a denominational mindset. And so he is primarily converted to the Church of Christ in that sense. Uh, he has looked at the doctrines and practices of many different denominations within Christendom and has found that the Church of Christ uh, is closest to what he sees in the Bible. And so he leaves his previous religious affiliation and becomes affiliated with the Churches of Christ. And he's very impressed by the different brotherhood publications, bookstores, colleges, camps, and other affiliated institutions among the Churches of Christ. He, he takes a great interest and what was taught and practiced by the leaders of the Restoration Movement, like Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone, that historically have helped make the Church of Christ what it is today. He spends a great deal of his time trying to keep up with the different brotherhood controversies and is very in tune to what some of the big-name preachers uh, among the Churches of Christ are teaching. And to him, the success of the Lord's work is largely dependent upon the condition of what he sees as the, the brotherhood of churches of Christ. Well, the third man is simply converted to Christ. And he's very thankful for the local brethren that helped teach him about Christ. And he's aware that there are many other Christians who have responded to the gospel in the same way and are, are meeting together in local congregations throughout the world. Uh, and to a certain extent, he has fellowship with them as he travels different places and, and, and works with other Christians. But his primary focus is his allegiance to Christ. He was not baptized to join a local group. He wasn't baptized to join even a global religious group as much as he was baptized to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. His primary focus is on making sure that he is living his life in submission to and in fellowship with Jesus. Recognizing that God's design for his spiritual growth and service does involve him working together with other disciples, he looks for a local congregation of people faithfully serving the Lord, teaching and practicing what he sees within the Bible. And when he finds a group that is practicing those things, he joins them and assembles and works alongside them in his service to Christ. And yet, he was not converted to a group of people, he was converted to Christ. Well, which one of these are you? Which one of these should we be? I think we'll recognize from the get-go that our faith and loyalty must be in Christ alone. Because he alone can save us. Salvation does not come from our association with the right religious group of people. Uh, now, certainly, uh, we recognize that there is importance uh, in God's design that we do find others who are faithfully serving the Lord, that we do uh, become part of a, of a local group that is faithfully teaching and practicing what God has directed us to do. But we recognize that our salvation is primarily focused on us, our surrender and devotion to the right Savior, not to us being part of the right group of people. The church of Christ does not save us. Christ saves us. 
And so while we should seek to join ourselves to a faithful congregation, that's really secondary to first being a disciple and follower of Jesus himself. Look here in 1 Corinthians, the passage that we read a little bit ago together. You notice how these individuals here were were identifying themselves as disciples um, by using different men's names. But look there in verse 12, he says, Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am a Paul. And I of, of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Now, I, I found it somewhat confusing here that he would include Christ's name right in there with everybody else's. He's saying, here you, you are divided in this way because some are saying this and some are saying that. And what one of these groups of people is saying is, I of Christ. And you might think, well... That's what it should be, and in a way, certainly it should, but it seems that there's nothing in the text that separates these people from the others, that sets them aside. He doesn't say, and yet there are others who do say, I am of Christ. No, it's, it's in the group with the others. And so it's possible that we may even identify ourselves by the name of Christ, and yet that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a biblical, non-sectarian, non-denominational view of what it means to be part of the Lord's church. It's possible to have a misplaced loyalty upon the group of people that identify themselves as of Christ, rather than having our loyalty, first and foremost, to Christ himself. So while certainly we do need to be those who are of Christ, we need to recognize that that's not a party title, as much as it is a description of who we truly are. That we are to be a church of Christ in the sense that we want to belong to Christ and we want to submit to Christ and we want to follow Christ. And everything that we do wants to be, uh, is according to the will of Christ. So we need to be very careful that even in identifying ourselves in this way, we don't develop some party mindset and identify ourselves with the group rather than first and foremost, identifying ourselves with the Savior. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to read here in verse 19 through 26, and I think we'll see a recurring theme in how the gospel is spreading here uh, in the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians, or Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19, it says, So then those who were scattering because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Do you notice kind of a recurring focus with the spread of the gospel here in Antioch? What are they preaching there in verse 20? They're preaching 
the Lord Jesus. What are people turning to there in verse 23 and in verse 24? They are turning to being brought to the Lord. And down in verse 26, they are being called Christians. Uh, they're remaining true to the Lord there in verse 23 as well. And so the focus in all of this, as the gospel is being preached, as people are responding to it, as they are seeking to remain faithful, is their service to the Lord, to Jesus. That is where their allegiance lies. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to respond to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to turn to him. It means to remain true to him. And so on our sign out front, we, we say that we are an Eastside Church of Christ. But it also says up there, simply Christians. And the reason that we have that is because that's what we want to be. We, we don't want to be Church of Christ Christians. We want to be Christians, followers of Christ. And as we call ourselves the Church of Christ, we call ourselves that, one of many titles throughout the scripture, because we want to follow Christ. That's a description more than it is a title, or at least it needs to be. We need to recognize that the church is not an earthly organization. It is a heavenly organization. Look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Here we have somewhat of a, a definition uh, of what the church is. Here Paul talking to the elders in Ephesus says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What is the church? What is the church of Christ? The church of God as it's referred to here. Well, it is all those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's not a network of publications and bookstores and colleges and camps and whatever else might go, among, go on among God's people. It is people. It is individuals who have devoted their lives to the Lord. Individuals who have been bought with the blood of Jesus. And since he purchased it, since he bought it, it belongs to him. And that's where the focus needs to be. It's not some earthly institution. We see this again in Hebrews chapter 12 as the Hebrew writer makes a distinction between the old covenant and them coming to Mount Sinai and now under the new covenant symbolically he says that they have come to Mount Zion. Notice what he says here in Hebrews 12 verse 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Where is the church enrolled? Is it on church rosters and, and, and duty rosters in local churches throughout this earth? No, these are people enrolled in heaven. In fact, it encompasses not only those who are living here on earth today, but those who have, have passed on. All of those who ultimately are saved through the blood of Jesus. And so when we talk about the church, when we think about the church, we need to make sure that we're not thinking of some earthly network of organizations. First and foremost, the church is God's people. God's people who are bought with, with Jesus' blood. And as we've said, certainly faithful Christians should seek to form themselves into local congregations. 
Uh, and there's nothing wrong with seeking to identify ourselves in a way that makes us recognizable to other faithful brethren. Certainly, you know, as we look through the New Testament, did, did those Christians know who, who the faithful brethren were over in Ephesus and over in Philippi? And yes, they, they recognized each other. They recognized those who were faithfully serving the Lord. There's nothing wrong with us trying to identify ourselves in a way that, that makes us recognizable, identifiable, uh, and associated with others who are faithfully serving the Lord. But ultimately, it is not our membership in a local church with the name Church of Christ on the sign that is going to make us a Christian or a disciple of Christ. That is secondary. Our focus needs to be on being faithful disciples of Jesus himself. And so is that what we are converted to? Well, let's follow these three individuals and look at how this view of their own discipleship and view of their own conversion is going to affect their thinking. How do these three men consider their teaching and doctrine? Well, one considers the teaching of the East Side Church of Christ. This first man has formulated his convictions on matters of doctrine primarily based on what is taught and practiced at this local congregation. He, he trusts that the brethren here, who, who he, he loves and appreciates, have been, been very thoughtful in determining the right way to go about things as a church. And instead of searching the scriptures for himself to determine what God would have us do, he lets the common practice of this group be kind of the standard by which he measures any other teaching or practice. And so as time goes on, uh, you know, he was really converted to this group, and as any other teaching or practice may come in, his first reaction is to compare that with, well, is that what we've always done? Is that what we've always practiced? Um, and so if any new teaching comes into the pulpit, uh, it's compared to what has been taught here in times past. If any new practice is introduced, it is compared to what the brethren here have always done. The second man has a little bit of a broader scope. He, he has exposed himself to a great deal of teachings and practices among churches of Christ by visiting gospel meetings and lectures, reading uh, publications, keeping up with what the big name preachers are, are, are preaching. And so he compares any doctrine or practice with what the churches of Christ historically have taught um, or maybe what the most prominent brethren among the churches of Christ are, are currently teaching. And so he may have biblical arguments for what he believes, but those are primarily just the standard biblical arguments that he has heard others use, not really his own well-thought-out convictions. The third man is converted to Christ, certainly uh, appreciates the good Bible teaching of the, the preachers and brethren that he has interacted with, but he sees those primarily as a stimulus for his own personal search of the scriptures. Whenever he hears somebody else preach, whether it be in this congregation or elsewhere, he strives to have the attitude of the Bereans in Acts 17.11, who search the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. He seeks to form his own convictions, not based on what anybody else is saying, but based on what Christ is saying. And if he does find something that the churches of Christ historically have taught or that the church that he is a part of is teaching that is inconsistent with the scripture, uh, then he seeks to stay true to God's word above all else and make whatever changes need to be made. Well, which of these should describe us? 
I think we all recognize what should. Christ has all authority, and his word must be the foundation of all that we teach and practice. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus told his disciples before he departed that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. All authority. Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23, we're told that God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is head over all things to the church. All things have been put under his feet. All authority in heaven and on earth. That doesn't leave any room for anybody else, does it? No, everything that we teach that we practice, that we seek to do in his service needs to come from him. And we may certainly glean from the study and wisdom of those who have gone before us. Um, We need not to be so arrogant to think that everybody else has has been wrong and I I figured out something that nobody else has, has figured out. Well, no, certainly we recognize that there are many other faithful people who have have studied the scriptures all their lives, and and, and we glean from their wisdom, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, what we believe, what we practice, is not because of what anybody else has said. It's because of what they have shown us from the scriptures, because of what Christ himself uh, has revealed to us within his words and through his apostles and prophets. We see this focus stressed throughout the scriptures. In Galatians 1, verse 10 through 12, Paul makes it very clear that his teaching did not come from man. Uh, starting in verse 10, he says, For I, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain how he he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't immediately go to the apostles, but he preached what Jesus had revealed to him. This wasn't a, a teaching that he received from somebody else, from some other man, some other religious leader. It was a teaching directly from Jesus. Well, why did Paul feel the need to emphasize that? You know, what, what was so bad about him having received his teaching from the other apostles? That, right, they're, they're divine messengers from God. It, I think what Paul is showing us here is in contrast to his Jewish background, where he was parroting what the religious leaders had been saying, he wanted to make it very clear he's not just parroting what some religious leaders are saying here. What he is teaching unquestionably is coming from Jesus. And that is where the focus needs to be. Even for those who, who didn't have this direct relation from Jesus, who, who received it from Paul or who received it from the other apostles, they needed to be sure that this was not coming from man in any way, shape, or form. This was coming from the Lord. And Paul emphasizes that even in his own teaching. He didn't want people to, to trust in him because of his own wisdom or his own study or his own abilities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, notice what he says about his teaching here. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, 
but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul says, the things that I'm speaking now, the things that I'm writing to you now, aren't coming from my own mind. It's not things that we came up with. These are things coming from the Spirit, from the Lord. And later on in this same book, in chapter 4 and verse 6, as he refers back to what we read in chapter 1, those who were saying, I am of Paul and I am of Paul, he says here in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against another. What, what does he mean by that? Not to exceed what is written. Well, what they were doing is they were putting their trust and their loyalty and this teacher or that teacher, uh, he says he figuratively applied it to him and Paul. Probably there are others that he doesn't name here. But they were basing their belief and their practice on loyalty to some particular teacher or some particular group instead of looking to the revealed will of God what was written, what God had given them through the scriptures and through the apostles and prophets. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we aren't going beyond what is written, that when we decide what it is that we're teaching and that what we're practicing, it's not based on anything other than what we read within the scriptures, what God has revealed to us, not based on what is simply the accepted teaching among some certain group or by certain people. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, we're told, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever uh, serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. How is God going to be glorified in our preaching and our teaching? We're going to have to make sure that what we speak is from God's mouth, his utterances, not ours. Not from our mind, not from our lips, as much as from God's mind, from his lips, from his word. And so certainly we must speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Not because the leaders of the Restoration Movement said to, but because that is what God expects of us. That is what he will be glorified in, that we need not to go beyond what is written, that we need to speak the utterances of God. And so, if we are truly converted to Christ, we will determine our teaching and our doctrine by what Christ has said, not by any group or any individual. Let's look at a third area together. What's going to happen with each of these individuals as they encounter conflict, as their devotion is tested by their experiences with other brethren? Well, the first man who was converted to the East Side Church of Christ is eventually going to be dissatisfied with something that he sees here. This is not a perfect group of people. This is far from it. And maybe, uh, you know, some of the people that he was closest to, that he appreciated the most, move away. Maybe uh, a new preacher comes in that is, is not as, as dy dynamic. Maybe, uh, you know, we're, we're having some younger song leaders come up and, and they aren't 
uh, are still developing. They're not able to do as good of a job, and our songs are kind of slow and a little bit off-key. Maybe some new converts come in to the church, and he just doesn't have as much in common with them, and their personalities kind of get on his, his nerves, and, and their immaturity uh, causes them to, to make comments and questions in Bible class that make that less edifying and helpful to him individually. And so he eventually leaves dissatisfied that, well, this church just isn't what it used to be. Because his devotion and his focus was on this group of people. What about our second man? He, over time, uh, the one who is converted to the Church of Christ is what he perceives to be this global, earthly organization, will become disillusioned by the many divisions and disagreements that he sees among those who identify themselves as Churches of Christ. He'll become exhausted and overwhelmed trying to police the doctrinal soundness of all the different parts of the brotherhood and make sure that everybody is on the same page and what they're teaching and practicing. And his faith in Christ may begin to waver as his faith in this earthly institution uh, is constantly called into question by the wrong attitudes and the faults of different preachers and congregations that he comes in contact with. But our third man remains dedicated to Christ no matter what it is that he experiences. Being genuinely converted to the Lord, he may certainly be tested by less than perfect brethren, by wrong attitudes, by difficult and discouraging situations. But his commitment to Christ will lead him to continue to serve Christ and his people regardless of how others may act or how he may be mistreated, uh, or how much his needs are, are being met in any certain area. Certainly, that's who we want to be. If my loyalty is to Christ, then I will remain committed to him and committed to his followers no matter what. This man recognizes that the way he treats his brethren is the way he's treating Christ. Matthew 25 and verse 40, in this judgment scene, we see the, the king answers and says, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. And so even when his brethren are imperfect, even when they're hard to get along with, even when he doesn't have much in common with them, he recognizes that the way he treats them is the way he's treating the Lord. This man's commitment to the church will be based not on his personal relationships with the brethren, but on their shared relationships with Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I, I, I want us to look at this as it does apply to local church membership. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 26, here we see shortly after Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of the church, very zealously going out to, to imprison Christians and even contribute unto their death. Here he sees the Lord. He's converted. He becomes a disciple of Christ. And in, here in verse 26, he goes to Jerusalem. And we read, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. First of all, uh, th this word uh, associate is 
the word to, to join himself to them. It's the same word that's used in Romans 12, verse 9, when it says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He's seeking to cling to the brethren there. It's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, and 17, um, where it talks about how a man shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He is seeking to cling, to join himself to these brethren here. But at first, they reject him. Why? It says, not believing that he was a disciple. They don't believe that they have this shared relationship with Jesus, which is the foundation of their fellowship with one another. But notice in verse 27, it says, But Barnabas took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with, with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So at first they reject him because they believe here this is a, a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. This is somebody who's going to come in and is seeking to do damage to the Lord's flock. We can't accept that. If he's not a genuine disciple of the Lord, we can't have fellowship with somebody who's not in fellowship with God. But when Barnabas comes and makes it clear, yes, he is in fellowship with God. Yes, he has turned to the Lord. Do you think it might have been difficult for some of these brethren to accept Saul? What had Saul been doing? Saul had been going about throwing their fellow Christians in prison. Maybe some of the, the family members of these people in the church at Jerusalem had, had their relatives thrown in prison. Maybe they themselves had been thrown in prison by Saul. And when Saul was contributing even unto the death of Christian, maybe that was somebody's brother, somebody's father, somebody's sister or mother. Were they at liberty to reject Saul among them because of how they felt personally about Saul? Well, think about what Saul has done. Think about his past. Think about all the, the, the negative feelings that might have gone along with that. But that didn't make a difference. In fact, we see when Saul's life himself is in danger, what did those brethren do? They protect Saul. They send him away, make sure that he's safe as he goes on to Tarsus. Brethren, our fellowship with one another is not based on how much I like you. It's not based on how much you and I have in common. It's not based on, on how much you meet my needs and how encouraged I am by you. Our fellowship needs to be based on our common relationship with the Lord. And certainly, as we have that common foundation together, we need to be trying to build strong relationships one, with one another. We need to be being knit together in love. But, but the foundation isn't that, you know, well, you and I root for the same sports team, and we have a lot in common, and, and that's, why, you know, that, that's why I want to spend time with this person. No, we, we have what's most important in common, our relationship with the Lord. See, see this same concept in Romans chapter 14. Turn your Bibles with me there. Romans chapter 14. Here again, Paul is addressing some conflicts 
that are, are going on among the brethren here. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1 of Romans 14. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What about when we have disagreements? What about when we don't see things exactly the same, when we have differing convictions on, on, on different personal matters. Here in this case, there, there are some who thought they needed to continue to keep certain aspects of the, the Jewish food laws and they weren't supposed to eat certain things. Others uh, knew that they were re released from those regulations and that it didn't matter what, what it was they uh, ate in that sense. But what are Paul's instructions here? He says, accept the one who is weak in the faith. On what basis? Down in verse 3, for God has accepted him. Verse 4, the Lord is able to make him stand. I may have brethren who, or, or I may be the brother who, who is more spiritually immature than somebody else. And I, I may have some, some different convictions on things that I'm still learning and I'm still growing through. But... If I have a, a brother or sister who is more immature and their immaturity causes some, some friction and it makes my personal experience in the assembly less edifying because our, our studies, we keep have to, having to answer their questions and, and we have to uh, address their spiritual immaturity and I'm just really not getting as much out of it now. What should my attitude about that be? Even if it grates on my nerves, even if these different things uh, cause tension there, I need to have the attitude that I accept them as my brother and as my sister. Not because we see everything exactly the same, but because God has accepted them. Because of our common fellowship with the Lord. In a situation where it's not a matter of sinful rebellion or destructive heresy, God has commanded me to accept my brother. Because God has accepted him. God is able to strengthen him. God is able to make him stand in his grace and in his strength. And we see the same concept in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. Here we read, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's the foundation of our fellowship with one another? Is it that we, we all uh, agree to the same Church of Christ practice and Church of Christ doctrine? No, our fellowship is based on our common fellowship with the Lord. Now certainly we can't be in fellowship with those who are not in fellowship with the Lord. But anyone who by God's grace has responded to the gospel and is in fellowship with him, I need to be seeking to have fellowship with. Now that, that may cause tension, that may cause difficulties. We may have to work through some things like Romans 14 where we have to have patience with one another. We need to come to a, a better understanding together of what it is that God desires of us. But the foundation of that fellowship is our common foundation with the Lord. God has accepted him. 
Later on in verse 6 and 7, we read, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you find it odd there that he inserted that right in the middle of this? We have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we're each sincerely seeking to follow God's will, and that's our foundation, that's what we've been converted to, that's who we're following. We may be at different parts along that road. Certainly walking in the light does not mean we're sinless, because he goes on to say, and the blood of Jesus is uncleanses us from all sin. But if we're striving to walk in the truth of God's word together, we may be at different places on that road. But as long as we are in the light, fellowship with the Lord, we need to be in fellowship with one another. We need to seek that fellowship with one another. Look in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 and 23. Here Peter writes, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. What's the basis of our fervent love for each other? Isn't that, you know, I'm, I'm just really likable, and you have a lot in common with me, and you enjoy spending time with me. Now, the basis of our fervent love for one another is not how lovable we are. It's that we have been born again by the word of God and we need to be reflecting the character of Christ. We've been born into a family of love and we need to reflect the family values. And so the basis of our love for one another needs to be on our shared brotherhood within the family of God, our shared salvation. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was born into the Huggins family, I didn't have a choice about it. I, I, I didn't look through all the, the families of the earth and, and pick out my, my brother and my, my sister and my younger brother and say, you know what, you guys are the guys that, that I want to be my family. I didn't have a choice about it. And I, I, I think I've been very blessed in that regard. But when I was born into that family, they got me whether they wanted me or not. And I got them whether I wanted them or not. And sometimes I'm not all that lovable. Sometimes they're not all that lovable. But I love them because they're my brothers. And they're my sister. Brethren, that needs to be our foundation for the love that we have for one another. It's not based on whether or not you at any given time are being lovable. It's you are my brother. You are my sister in Christ because of the salvation and the grace and the love that he has extended to you and that he has extended to me. And if that is where our focus is, if I've genuinely been converted to Christ, not to some local group, not to some earthly organization here, if I've been converted to Christ, then that's going to affect the way that I interact with you. I'm not going to say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. I'm not 
even going to identify myself primarily with a group as much as I am identifying myself primarily with Christ. And I hope that us having the name Church of Christ out there describes that. Not, not some title, but a description of who we want to be. We want to be of Christ. We want to follow Christ. We want to submit to him in all that we do. And it's not some Church of Christ doctrine. It is Christ's doctrine that we're seeking to follow. I hope as we all seek to follow that together, that we can have fellowship based on our common fellowship with the Lord. Even as we're all learning and growing together. So what were you converted to? And how does it show in your life? Were you converted to a local group of people or, or even as, as good or bad as they may be, a, a global group of people? Were you converted to any group of people or were you converted to the Lord? And in your service to the Lord, seek to join yourself with those who are in common seeking to serve the Lord. We, we want people to love it here at the Side Church of Christ. We, we, we want people to, to come in here and, and feel loved and, and feel edified and feel encouraged here. But, it, but if the reason that you're here is because of us, you're here for the wrong reason. We're imperfect. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. If you're here because of the Lord, then we can work together. We can work together to his glory for the furtherance of his purposes. And that's what we want to do. What about you today? Do you recognize an incorrect focus in, in your own walk as a disciple? Have you been focused too much on any certain teacher, any certain group of people? Or, or are you genuinely seeking day in and day out to follow Christ and to join yourself with those who are seeking to follow Christ as well? If you recognize that some change needs to be made, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, that's why we're here. If, if you do need to repent of some sin, if you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, if you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren in any way, we want to give you that opportunity now as we stand and sing together.